ministering in healing lines. Uh, I've been doing that for a long time and especially started to uh, figure some things out when I traveled with Brother Hagen for all those years. And um, the services that we would be in would be sometimes 10,000 people or more. And so in a room like that, you know, you'd say anybody here that needs to be ministered to, come on down front. Well, you'd sometimes have 3,000, 4,000 people get out of their seat and come down front. And, and back in those days, we weren't smart enough, you know, to have multiple ushers. That hadn't been created yet, that whole idea. So we were just following the pattern that was, which is I was the main guy and I caught the body and my guy behind me, Keith, he caught the head. So, you know, you break that person down like this and then Keith would go ahead and put that head down, break that person. Well, that seems okay when you got just a few people or Brother Hagen's going slow. But there'd be times when the Spirit of God get him, he'd start running. So now you're ching, 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 ching. You know what I mean? You're going as fast as you can go. And sometimes you'd get a jacket and there'd be no one in it. <laughs> Slip sliding away. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, one time I got hair and I didn't know what was the bangs and what was the back of the hair. How do I get that back on? And the lady is down there like this, and she looked up, and she saw, she reached up, and she grabbed that, <laughs> stuck it back, and went back to laying on down. That'll take you right out of the spirit. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And of course, you know, without being mean or anything, I mean, there were some people that you'd catch that you just wanted to say, you know, don't have as much next time for lunch. <laughs> you know. Some people were huge and big and tall, and so it was quite an interesting time, especially with Brother Hagen. He was quite an interesting guy. You know, the anointing was so strong and everything on him, and so, you know, you get, you get in those kind of atmospheres, and you try to really narrow down all the loose ends to make it easier, as easy as you can, and now they're just smarter. They just figured every person could catch one person. And they get about 10 or 12 guys, and you just keep rotating like this down the line. And everybody just, you know, every, every 12 person, you catch one. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, we just caught everybody, you know. So uh, anyhow, you know, with the, with the stage and every how, how it was, you can put it back anywhere you want to. And thanks for, thanks for doing that for me. Amen. If we do have a line tonight, no, what happens if we don't have any more lines or something and we just minister out to the people? Well, the pastor's just really kind. So anyhow, I thank him for that. I'm, I'm having a real blast here with you guys. Amen. And um, it's been so fun. It's so great to be in a place where there is a reception. As Brother Mark said, it's, it's Mark, isn't it? Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't just make that up. That was really good. So anyhow, as, as Mark was saying, you guys are really very receptive people, which means you're hungry, but you're also spiritually alert enough to actually believe there's something to pull on and something to receive. Amen. And that's really, that's really important, you know, because there's places I go where we still get things to happen, but the people have absolutely no idea how hard I worked. Amen. And when you're done with places like that, you just want to go, you know, lay down. I mean, that can be really tiring. 
But it's not been that way. It's been refreshing here. Amen. And I, I appreciate that. So uh, it's going to be good tonight. Uh, as far as the book table is concerned, there's not much left out there. There's just some of those uh, white books that are identity crisis. And uh, that's all about being made in the image and likeness of God. There's some really good things in there about connecting with God. Um, someone asked some questions about my cowboy friend, uh, BJ. And uh, he's back in Oklahoma, and so I'm not around him anymore. In fact, I need to give him a call, see how he's doing. Um, but we did do uh, five or six years of radio shows together. He, uh, the reason why we did it is because he was already an, an accomplished radio show individual, you know. Um, he had a show on um, survival, and then he had a horse show that had four million listeners every month in 97 countries. That's pretty good. What do you think? And so he just really is very sharp, you know, in his ability to speak on the uh, live internet radio is really, really good. So he helped put together a show called The Abiding Presence. He now has one called, um, what's his called? The Abiding Presence? Oh, uh, um, Benevolent Grace is what his radio show is called. He's probably going to kick that up back again sometime this fall. But anyhow, we, uh, we had some really great times together. Um, I got to meet him. Uh, I had prayed a prayer, another really good prayer. Um, prayers that are of humility are really good prayers. And back in 2011, I prayed a really good prayer. I said, Lord, I know where I need to be, but I can't seem to get there. And I said, I really need you to fix me. Amen. In other words, adjust the way I see. Because if you don't see it, you can't walk in it. I mean, you can know it's there, but you still have to see it. Does that make sense? Every, everything really is about that. That's why revelation is so important. What is revelation? It's the enlightenment of your spiritual eyes to see something you're not seeing. And then, of course, it may take some time for your mind and your body to catch up with it, but it will. And so I just said, Lord, you got to fix me again. And then, lo and behold, I met him. Now, he would never have come to a meeting. I mean, he had some strong feelings about preachers, and they weren't good. And the reason why is because he's really, really, really smart. He was a genius. Amen. He aced his SATs. He aced his ACTs. Think about that. Not just did well, like didn't get one question wrong. He can read 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention. So think about that. You can, you know, whenever he needed to do anything on the ranch that he didn't know, he'd just sit in Barnes and Nobles for about an hour and a half and go through a book this big. Like you can't believe what I'm telling you unless you see it. He's in the service, you know, once he got saved and he's got a Bible and he's literally going like this. He goes just like an S down one page, then down the other and then turns it. And my wife, Erin, she goes, what's he doing to his Bible? I said, he's reading it. And about 20 minutes later, he was still reading. He said, she said, where do you think he is right now? I said, well, he probably started over there, you know, somewhere like Acts, you know, and he's probably, well, maybe in Revelation. I don't know. I mean, really that fast. As a nine-year-old, he read the Bible in four hours. And he didn't just read Genesis to Revelation. He read everything before Genesis, all the notes, and he read all the notes at the end. And as a nine-year-old boy, he came to the conclusion that the Bible spins in circles. That the end all is not just in the book. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so what does that mean? Well, I mean, think about it. It does spin in circles. Outside of Genesis, Genesis and Revelation, the Bible is very repetition. 
right? A lot of it. The Old Testament theme was when people were following God, there was great prosperity and blessing. But when they got off and they, they connected themselves to other nations, what began to happen? They became oppressed and they lost their blessing. Isn't that right? And then when it got really bad enough, they'd cry out to God and he would raise up somebody that was connected to him, a deliverer, a prophet usually, that was connected to God, and he would go and bring deliverance to the children of Israel and great prosperity would come again. And this just seemed to happen over and over and over again. You can really find it in the book of Judges, but it's actually, right after Genesis, it's kind of the whole thing. Right? And we're still struggling with what happened right there in Genesis chapter 3. You say, what do you mean? Well, when Adam and Eve were forced out of the garden, they, they actually were forced out of the garden, which means when they realized what happened and what might actually be their lot in life outside of the garden, uh, then they put their heels in the sand and God drove them out, which means with force that cannot be withstood, which means there's tracks. And then once they're out... For the first time, they asked a question where they would have to answer this question without God being a part of the equation. And what is that, that question? Well, it's very simple. If you were now outside of the garden and everything you knew and you had a brand new reality, you would ask the same question to each other. What are we going to do? Well, of course, and that's where the to-do list started. I mean, that's a fun way of saying it, but it's actually true. No, I don't know that it was a honeydew list at that point. It was just a to-do list. They both had to-do lists. In other words, they had to figure out how to have shelter, how to have continual clothing, and how to have food. They didn't know any of those things. Well, why? Because God had provided that. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, about how you're spending so much time on things that God wants to actually provide for you. Can you not just for a moment step back from your, your life that is so busy and distracted over the things of this world and look at least at the flowers and see that they don't toil and God creates them and most of them aren't even seen by human eyes, but he still delights in giving them a great life. And then what about the birds? They don't worry. They don't even try to do things for themselves, but aren't they always fed? And don't they always have a home and so on and so forth? And what's he trying to do? He's, Jesus was trying to get you to let go of this life so you can grab a hold of heaven's life. And even though you're going to say, yeah, but what about all the things that I need to do? And that's the part God wants to say, I'd actually like to be involved with you while you think you have to do something so I can be involved and it can become way better than you could ever imagine. And then the greatest thing will happen. You'll have so much time left over to actually enjoy me. That's what he wants. Even this whole healing thing, really, how important is the body, really? in the scope of eternity. Well, I know, you know, time just seems to fly by anymore, and I can't believe I'm even at the age that I am. It just flies, doesn't it? Your children grow so fast, and all of a sudden they're leaving the house, and then all of a sudden you actually want them to leave the house. <laughs> and about time you get rid of one, one comes back. 
And it's all good, amen? But it's just this process of life where it goes so fast. Amen. We really want to connect with God. That's the whole thing. That's everything the book is about, is giving you a recipe to be able to connect with God. Because once God becomes real to you, that's when you walk with him, that's when you talk with him, and that's where life gets interesting because now you begin to realize there is a supply of God's grace that is well beyond anything you could ever imagine or use in a lifetime. And that grace is for you to experience the salvation that God gave you through Jesus Christ. Amen. In my Baptist church, you know, we didn't know anything about that. We just knew that God saved us by grace, but you had to live through life, and it was difficult. So every Sunday, we would encourage one another, and we'd sing, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Now, you couldn't shout yet because you hadn't seen him. <laughs> And we weren't happy yet because we weren't there. That's why we sang that song, to lift our spirits, because life was difficult. And we just figured God was a part of our difficulty because we had prayed if it would be thy will, and it never turned out in our favor. So it meant God's will was to actually suffer through life, but all to his glory he was there. One song, you know, that we used to sing. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. He was waiting patiently in line. Really? <laughs> I think he's going like this while you're singing it. How stupid can they be? So we didn't know anything about that victory, but I'm telling you, everything about the, the Bible is for you to connect with God. And connecting with Him is just like the lights. The reason why we're not looking at them is because they're doing what they're supposed to. As long as the wires are connected and the current is flowing and the light bulbs are actually okay, they will give you light and you just take advantage of the light. The only time when you look at them is when they begin to flicker or they go out. You don't know how many times you've blinked since we started this service, but if you got a speck in your eye, you do. Huh? So God wants to remove the speck. He wants to keep the lights on, and he wants your body healthy for one good reason, and that is when you're not paying attention to your body, you've got all kinds of times to pay attention to him. Amen? Amen? So Jesus even took our infirmity and bore our sickness. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. So anyhow, about my friend, I'll just tell a couple stories because very interesting, very, very interesting individual because he didn't just listen to me. He, like a mathematician, he figured out what was going on. And he would come up, you know, and say things to me. He said, well, I figured it out. I said, well, what'd you figure out? He said, I figured out how to have a real relationship with God. I said, well, that's dandy. Amen. Lay it on me. And this is what he said. 
not until water is no longer wet, the sky is no longer blue, and the ground is no longer hard, will you ever have a real relationship with God. And you know, I like that kind of stuff, but I just went, duh. Can you say that again? And he said, well, not until the sky is no longer blue, not until water is no longer wet, not until the ground is no longer hard will you ever have a real relationship with God. And I said, are you trying to, you know, talk about alternate realities? He said, Jim, isn't that what you're talking about? I said, yes, it is. There is an earthly realm and there is a spiritual realm. And to the degree that you become good at that world, you begin to conquer this one. And that's what Jesus did. Amen. Jesus said, you know, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he, not Nicodemus, he's, yes, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, okay, and he's talking to him about some things, and he said, uh, he that hath ascended is also he that hath descended into the earth and now lives in heaven. Well, when he said that, Jesus wasn't in heaven, so what's he talking about? What he was saying is, while I walk on the earth in this body, I'm living out of heaven in my spirit. And that's how you conquer. That's what he was saying. He figured it out. Once you actually tap into this other world, it dominates this one. So within the first week, he figured out that there's, you know, his, one of his horses should be healed. It had an eighth of an inch hole in its eye. It was blind, had arthritis, had bone spurs. And he just, in front of all kinds of, you know, his, his ranch hands and, and the veterinarian just wrapped his arms around the horse and said, well, God says you're well now. Well, they laughed at him and cussed him out. I said, what'd you do? He said, I cussed him out too. <laughs> I said, well, what happened to the horse? He said, in three days' time, the eye filled in, the horse can see, the bone spurs are gone, the arthritis is gone, and the horse has brand new enamel on all its teeth. And he said, well, you know, I went to one place, and, and, and the preacher behind my back told one of my friends, he, he told this horse story. Like that really happened. Well, he asked me to come back, and I told him, forget it. I'm not going back to someone that can't open up their heart to believe just a little bit that God can do those kind of things just because you can't get a gnat's eyeball healed. See, people get real touchy when you talk about things other people haven't experienced. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's taboo to say that you actually experienced Jesus. You know why? Because of pride. So since this preacher hadn't experienced Jesus, and you told about a friend, a cowboy that experienced Jesus, all of a sudden, Jim's following somebody that's following familiar spirits. That's what they always say. It's always familiar spirits for something that they've never experienced themselves. One of my friends gave me a three-hour lecture how I was going to lose my ministry by hanging out with this guy. After three hours, you know what I said? And it's a miracle. I lasted three hours. I looked at him and said, what if I'm right? And, and, and he, looked, he looked back like this, like I just slapped him, and he said, what would you say? I said, what if I'm right? He said, uh, what, what do you mean? Uh, I said, that's not really difficult uh, question. What if I'm right? And he said again, what do you mean? I said, I'm willing to lose everything that maybe I'm right. I said, so ruin my ministry if you can. Go ahead. Maybe I'm right. 
Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, we've got to step beyond ourselves to find what you can't find when you're back there. The old timers used to say it like this, A.W. Tozer. This is what he said faith is. Faith is putting yourself in a position where you can't go back on purpose. Think about that. That means I'm going to step over there, and when I do, I can't get back any longer, and I'm going to do it on purpose and believe God. Not like all of a sudden some euphoric feeling came over me and I found myself in a place that I never knew that I could actually be and I said, oh, isn't this wonderful? No, faith is where on purpose I'm putting myself far enough out here where I can't reach back and now I actually have to own up to it. I never got second dates when I was in high school. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I'd go out with a real pretty girl, and then I'd end up saying, do you know Jesus really loves you? He'd love to come into your heart and save you. And then I never got a second date. I ruined every one of them. Why didn't I just shut up? I could have had a really nice girlfriend. <laughs> Meaning what? I couldn't help but put myself in that position. I just had to. That was part of my upbringing. You got to tell somebody about Jesus. The Baptist church did a great job at that. At four years of age, I learned the Roman road. What do you mean? All sin and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. Amen. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believes in a righteous confession is made into salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be That was my sermon, shall be saved. You say, where did you give those sermons? Well, I heard the preacher talk about a closet. So I take all my friends as a four-year-old boy into their closets. The closets back then weren't big. There were just those ones that slid like that. So you only had a little bit of room, but we were just this tall. And I'd preach them that Roman road, and I'd say, we'd like to see, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the ones that said yes had a really easy conversion. And the ones that said no, I'd hold their head down and beat them a little bit until they said yes. <laughs> I had 100% conversions. Amen. I, I might want to go back to some of those techniques. It's just I didn't get as big as I thought I would. So when I went to high school, I couldn't beat anybody anymore. So I studied all about prophecy and made them feel like the end of the world was tomorrow and scare <laughs> hell out of them. Amen. Until they said, I'd like to receive Jesus. That's a good choice. He could come tomorrow. The horse were found out about that horse, and they asked BJ to bring it down to Oklahoma State University, and there were eight doctors down there, veterinarians, that studied that horse for over half a day, came back to say, uh, we have no explanation, but this horse is truly a miracle. The next week, BJ comes to me and said, you'll never believe it. I said, well, lay it on me. What, what am I never going to believe? He said, well, there's this lady that came screaming into the feed store when I was there, just, just buying some feed for my horses. And she said, she came screaming, help, help, I need help, I need help. She, he said, no one seemed to raise their voice. So I went over and said, ma'am, what's your problem? She said, it's my cat. It's my cat. Please come, please come. He said, well, where's your cat? It's in the trunk. And on the way to the trunk, he said, well, what'd you do? She said, I slammed the door on my cat's head. Can you please come? And he, he opens the trunk, and there's the cat with a crease in its head with a, a broken skull, lost all nine lives with just one crack. <laughs> he said, ma'am, he said, your cat's dead. Oh, can't you do something for my cat? Can't you? And she's just going on and on and on and on and on. And finally, he looks at her, and he says, now, listen, this is what we're going to do. He said, I'm not going to pray for your cat. 
but I'm going to pray for you. Two weeks into this, and he prayed the greatest prayer I've ever heard anyone pray. Remember, he's smart. He's figuring this out. He put his hand on her shoulder, and he said, God, please, please, open her eyes just enough so she can believe just a little, and then you can be God. See, if we can get somebody out of the way, God doesn't have any problem being God. It's just that he's got people in the way. And because they, own, they have their own will, then people don't get to see really who God is. Sometimes they see just a little bit of him. Sometimes they see a little bit more. But they never really get to see who he is because they're in the way. And when he prayed that prayer, she cried out and said, God, I do believe. Meow. The cat sat up. <laughs> she looked at BJ and said, wow. That's a miracle. He said, no, ma'am, that's, that's, not, that's not a miracle. She said, yes, it is. My cat's alive. He said, that's not a miracle. She said, well, if it's not a miracle, then what is? He said, the miracle here is that after you being a Christian all these years, you finally today believed God. That's the miracle. Mm. She calls him three days later, hysterical. You will never believe it. I took my cat to the vet. And you would never believe what happened. My vet scanned his head and said, we have no idea because you crushed its skull. What put this head back together? I cannot figure that out. But I will scan the rest of, the rest of this cat to see what's going on. He actually gave it a cat scan. Hey, <laughs> Ben, a cat scan. That's pretty funny. Amen. That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, wow, cat scan. He gave it a cat. And as he began to scan the rest of the cat, big old tears started dripping. And she looked at him and she said, Doc, what's wrong? He said, don't you remember? He said, uh, it wasn't long ago that I spayed this cat. All the female organs are back in. Your cat can have kittens. And she said, oh, my God, BJ, this is so wonderful. This is so wonderful. And BJ commented, he said, we don't need any more ugly cats in Tulsa. <laughs> he said, I'm going I'm to pray that you'll get that thing spayed again. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, it went from that. And it kept going from miracle to miracle and experience to experience where he came to me one day. He said, I think I'm losing it. I said, what do you mean you think you're losing it? He said, I'm hearing voices. I said, well, what kind of voices? I said, what did they say? He said, I'm at one of the busiest intersections in town. And all of a sudden, this voice said, floor it and go through the intersection. He said, I turned to my dog, Ranger, and I said, well, if we're going to do this, we might as well do it all the way. He said, I did not even look to the right or to the left. I just floored it and went right on through the intersection, right up onto the highway. And the moment I got onto that highway, he said, there is a, a, a motorcyclist that's driving down the highway, cuts in front of me, and somehow lost control, vroom, right into the ditch. He said, I pulled over, got out of my truck, walked up to this guy, and here he's got a pant leg completely filled with blood. And the guy's sitting there on his knees repenting. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. BJ walked up and he said, what are you, what are you getting forgiven about? The guy said, well, for all the things I've done. And he said, do you think that this happened because of things you've done? 
And the guy, you know, began to just talk back and forth with him about some of those thoughts. BJ made a comment to him. He said, well, he said, it's all about how you connect with God. And he said, well, I, I really do want him in my life. BJ said, well, that's enough. That's a connection. The paramedic came at that particular time, cut his pant leg up and said, um, what, what's all this in, in, in your pants? Maybe it's motor oil, because when he cut that leg up, that pant leg up, he had perfect baby skin. BJ looked at the paramedic and said, red motor oil? He said, well, it's time for me to go. Uh, I'm going to get an ice cream. God likes ice cream. And just walked away. One miracle after another. In other words, connecting people to the thought of God, to the emotion in your heart about God, to the reality of God. All of a sudden, in a man who doesn't have religion in him, to make it look like I don't think this could happen. Wow, this would really be a miracle. Because when we use the word miracle, what we're really saying is, uh, it's going to be a lottery ticket. I mean, people buy them in the millions, but no one really believes they're going to win. They just hope for the very best. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're twiddling their thumbs really thinking, this would be great if I did win. But they don't change their life until they do win. Because it's only for one person. And when we say something like, boy, we really need a miracle. Can everybody pray on Facebook? We need a thousand people to pray. What are you saying? This problem is so big, Jesus himself can't, can't solve this. So we need a thousand people to, to try to get him to do something that is pretty obvious he's not going to be able to do because this really is a miracle. And we downgrade our ability as sons and daughters to have our dad answer us for something that his son already paid for. Amen. It's like going to the family buffet or buffet, you know what I mean? And knowing that somebody's already paid for it, and you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, waiting to see if you have enough money to get the food. No, go up there and get the food. Right? And that's what we do to Jesus. Well, he doesn't have any of that. He hadn't been told that kind of stuff from some pastor, from some traveling minister. So because he doesn't have that on a slate, what does he do? He just actually thinks that it's okay, that, that those kind of things should happen. And it does because there's nothing in the way. Wow, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? What do some of you think about some of this? Well, I think that guy's got familiar spirits. See, that's what people do. Well, because of what? Because we, we haven't seen that before. I've never heard something that before. Well, what's the possibility we've just barely scratched the surface of God? Right? With all of his experiences, I asked him one day, I said, do you think that with all of your experiences, you're just kind of scratching the surface of God? Like the tip of the iceberg? And this is what he said. Uh, no, I haven't made it to the iceberg yet. If anything, it's like seeing a postcard of a tip of the iceberg you haven't actually seen. Wow, praise the Lord. I could go on and on and on and on and on. Story after story after story. But what we really want is our own. Praise the Lord. Little Tatiana, seven years old. She started listening to our radio show. 
she started paying attention to the small little things where actually God's involved that everybody just glazes over. Well, I'm having a pretty lucky day. Wow, that was a coincidence. Not realizing that God's actually involved in your life. And the more that you acknowledge anything of God, the more you can see everything of God. I'll say it again. The more you acknowledge anything, the more you actually open your eyes and he'll help you to see everything. He's not hiding anything from you. If God's, you know, playing any type of game, it's actually show and tell, not hide and go seek. Hide and go seek, there's galaxies God's created or are being created at the speed of light because he said light be, he never said light stop, um, that we never will find out in a million years. And if he hid behind one of them, you know, that it's over, right? But no, God's playing what? Show and tell. He shows up and we go, oh, that's amazing. You got to know what I experienced yesterday. It was amazing. I saw God do something. And God's so thrilled that you're telling somebody, he says, yeah, let me show you something else. And you think, really? Really, you're going to show me something else? Because that then ends the whole lottery ticket thing. Because that's what we think. If somebody actually has a spiritual experience, we think, well, lucky you. I'd really like to have one of those with the idea that I never will. And then the individual that has that says, yeah, it's a once-in-a-lifetimer. I'm telling you what, I'm just so grateful for it. And then that individual can go 40 years in their life and somebody say, have you ever had an experience where God blessed your life? And they say, I have, it was life-changing, it was 40 years ago, praise the Lord. And, and, and people don't even get it like 40 years ago. Why, why have you lost 39 years and 364 days of not having another one? I mean, when you go to your favorite place to get a steak, and it's the best steak you ever had, do you wait 40 more years before you go there? Huh? Well, no. No, it just seems to be normal that we want to have kind of a regular diet of this. You know, I might, I'll be visiting you multiple times. And so even saying, I had a great experience last week, it's better than most, better than most, better than most. But even that's not great, because isn't God 24-7 actually there for you? So you should actually be able to have an experience right here today. And what's the possibility if we really got good at, at experiencing God's grace, you could have hundreds of experiences every day that every one of them that you acknowledge to be great and awesome and good just makes everything about your relationship become more and more real. Mm. Okay, so my sermon's switched tonight, so we'll go with this, because this seems to be good. Does anybody want to hear more about this? Huh? Then turn your Bibles over to Romans in chapter 1. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord wasn't what I was planning, but man, it's good. It seems to really captivate our thoughts. You're very, very quiet. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Just a moment. I'll be there in just a second. All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And it says, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. And no, that's actually John. <coughs> Let me go back to Romans 1.18. 
It says, but God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing. This is the message, Bible, (coughs) excuse me, and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. The basic reality of God is plain enough. This is the part I want you to see. The basic reality of God is plain enough. In other words, plain to see. Open your eyes and there it is. If you haven't caught on yet, you will with this. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes of such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. And then it goes on to say, what happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the world, whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So what this is talking about is individuals, and, and, the, and the context is he's talking about you know, people having wrong relations with one another men having relationships with men and women having relationships with women and and God they knew better because everything around them showed that there is God and they should actually give their heart to God but because they wouldn't and they hardened themselves God gave them over into what well to a reprobate mind a reprobate mind means a mind being used for what it was not intended to be used for And then they lost all perspective when their mind became reprobate. But notice what it says here, and you say, why are you bringing this up? Because I want to show you that the number one place where you make a connection, the easiest way to make a connection with the spiritual world and with God himself is to make a connection with what God has made. Wow, that's pretty good. What did this talk about? You can see God plain enough by looking at what God has created. What's he talking about? He's talking about creation. When you look around and see what God's created, then all of a sudden you have an opportunity to do what? To begin to acknowledge him. And by doing so, you begin to draw your heart to that world. I'll give you a for instance. Every religion seems to get something right. But only Christianity has the main point, the main event. Like Buddhists do a really good job, better than Christians, at knowing that they are spiritual beings and there's a spiritual world. That's why they spend so much time meditating to get their bodies and their minds quiet so that their spirit can begin to interact with the spiritual world. They do a better job than Christians. Christians would freak out if they, they were around somebody doing a meditation and they got real quiet. Oh, that's of the devil. Well, why don't you try it and get your mind quiet and get your body quiet? Because the scriptures tell me in Psalm 46 that be still and then know that I am God. And know that I am God doesn't mean if you can get still, you'll have knowledge imparted to your mind. That's not what it means. It means when you get still enough, you'll start to experience Him. And Him is the particle or the main ingredient that we've left out of all of our teachings. We teach about 
him, but we very rarely experience him. What the church needs again is an encounter with God, a revival with an experience with the God that you can quote so many scriptures about, but still possibly can't get an answer to your prayer. I heard a bunch of, hmm, but I didn't hear any, amen, brother. I realize that's a little plain, but think about it. And I'm going to say something else that's plain. And this isn't a get-on-our-case thing tonight, but we need our eyes open to this other world. The number one thing, and I'm not talking about the church here, but church in general. The number one thing that Christianity and church in general has done that's successful is actually teach people how to fail successfully without having a problem with it. We'll have a healing line with 100 people and one person will get healed and we'll give God so much glory for that one person without realizing that you're a 99% failure. The bigger number always tells the story. Right? People have asked me, not that I've done so much right, not that I've accomplished so much. In fact, for how long I've been saved, I'm a month away from being saved 55 years. Well, on one hand, that's great, and you still love God. Yes, it is great, and I still love God. But if I spent 55 years with any one of you, I would really know you. And so after 55 years, to only know God the little that I know Him, to hear His voice the little that I do, to experience the few miracles that I see, in 55 years, you would have to say, for crying out loud, what have you been doing for 55 years? Now put everything I've experienced into six months, and then you'd say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just really on my way. It seems like I'm in a rocket ship going forward to experience God. But put it into 55 years, and you'd have to say, did you take some time outs? You know what I mean? Like, like, like 20 or 30 years of time outs? And I'd say, no, 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 I've always loved him. I've never strayed from him. He's always been the love of my life. Well, then what have you been doing? I've been learning about him. How much time have you spent with him? Hmm, that's the problem. My friend BJ, right away, he came up with his first theory. His first theory is called the ranger theory. You say, well, what's the ranger theory? Well, his dog at the time was named Ranger, a chocolate lab, 85 pounds. And he trained Ranger to do some pretty amazing things on the ranch. Ranger knew the difference between a flathead screwdriver and a Phillips screwdriver. It comes in handy if you're working on something to say, Ranger, go get the, go get the Phillips screwdriver. Ranger goes over and goes through the, the, yes, and grabs the screwdriver and comes right over to you and hands it to you like he's your assistant. He trained trained Ranger because he had an old pickup truck, a 73 old pickup truck, Ford, that still worked together, and that's a miracle that it still worked, but praise the Lord it did. Amen. It's 73 Ford, and, and it had push buttons for the music, and he trained Ranger to know the difference between the rock station, the classical station, and the country station. So it was on country, and he needed to mellow out. He'd say, Ranger, go change the station to the, to the uh, um, classical station, and Ranger go up there and push that button. 
Well, people that saw Ranger would say every single time, I mean, people that never knew him before would come up and say, that's the smartest dog I've ever seen in my life. And he'd say, no, Ranger's not smarter than any other dog. Oh, yes, he is. You should see my dog. He don't do anything. And BJ would say, well, how much time do you spend with your dog? And then they'd just kind of look funny and they'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really busy. And I'll go out and play fetch every once in a while, you know, but he, but, but, but he has his, his, his uh, doghouse back there. It's real nice. We made it nice. And, and then they'd say, well, how much time do you spend with Ranger? And he says, ever since she was a little pup, she's been by my side 24-7. And he'll say, it took me four hours to train her how to know the difference between a Phillips screwdriver and a regular screwdriver. Four hours? You spent four hours? He said, yeah, it's very useful for me. So it was well worth it to spend as much time it took to actually help her to understand the difference. And of course, dogs spell backwards. Well, we know what that is. So... <laughs> What you want to ask in that theory is, how much time do you spend with your dog? Because someone would say, man, you have an amazing relationship with God. Look at the testimonies that you have. And you'd say, well, my relationship with God is no different than yours. Oh, yes, it is. I've never experienced a testimony like that. Well, how much time do you spend with God? Oh, well, I go to church every Sunday. So once a week at 10 o'clock at a specific building, you actually believe that that's attached to your relationship. Well, if that's how you did your, your relationship with your husband and your wife, you wouldn't be married anymore. Right? There's some people here that weren't here the last couple of services. The last couple of services, we had a really good time. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So some of you are thinking, what did I get myself into? Holy smokes. Why am I here? Amen. Amen. What I'm trusting here tonight is that everyone that's here wants to spend more time with your dog than you've been spending with God, and you want more of him. The word more is actually a good word because what it says is you actually are admitting that you have less. And that's really difficult for some people. And what I was getting to is it's not not really achieved too much. But people ask me things like, what's the secret to your success at this point? And without even missing a beat, I'll say all the time, I know exactly what it is. I say, what is it? I've been willing to be wrong. People aren't willing to, willing to be wrong and never go forward. Because what they know at the time that they're not willing to admit that they don't know everything is the ceiling to how far they can go. When you're willing to be wrong, then you're going to ask somebody for questions. You're going to ask for help. You know, I mean, I, I didn't know this as a New Yorker. We we're actually, you know, short on time growing up in New York. So we want to get there as fast as can be. We don't have a problem pulling over and saying, hey, do you have some directions? Doesn't seem like I'm on the right road. I should have been there by now. Why? Because everything's about you got to get there. You got to get, get things done. That's why we say things like, come on, get out of the way. Hurry up. <laughs> Somebody pulls out in front of me and goes 20 miles an hour on a 50. Well, I'm, I'm going to use my horn. <laughs> Amen. And I'm doing better on not saying words that would you know, reflect why I'm actually still have my horn on after about 10 seconds. You know, there's words that can go with that, but I'm doing good not saying those words. My wife's helping me. Sometimes she'll even put her hand on my hand. 
And then other times I'll say things like, honey, aren't I doing really good? I'm doing so much better. And she'll say, well, you're not really doing that much better. I said, I'm not. She said, no. And then she'll bring up something I didn't think, yeah, wow, I didn't do really good there. But willing to be wrong. If you're not willing to be wrong, you'll never be able to be right. I don't care what you know. If you're not willing to lose something, you'll never be able to keep it. And if you're not willing to die, you'll never find out what it's like to live with God. Because it's in the willingness to die where you won't compromise. Everything about God is so straight and so narrow that you actually got to get on that road. You can't ask God and bellyache that things aren't good and expect him to come down and authenticate your doubt and unbelief. You actually have to get up and go towards where he is. Now, as scary as that is, the moment that you step into that straight and narrow, all of a sudden the grace of God is there and he empowers you to experience things you could never experience before as long as you're over there. And we talked about that this morning. For every decision you make, there's two steps that are taken. You said it only took one. No, you took one in this direction, but that takes away one from that direction. So now there's two. If I go 10 steps towards the devil, I'm 20 steps away from God. Well, people do that all the time. Think about being lost in the woods and you got yourself a compass. Well, the compass works really well if you don't go to the right or to the left and just use it to go straight to the car. But what happens if you've got to go around a creek bed and find a small little place where you can jump over it and you go 30 paces this way? When you start going north, you'll get to the road, but now you're 30 paces away from your car. So you've got to track yourself back to that straight and narrow to get there. The way people live their life, they go miles and miles and miles that way with all the right intentions. And when they get to a road, they're miles and miles and miles still away from God. And if you can't admit that, then the grace of God can't just in a heartbeat bring you instantly right back on place, on plane. That's why to hunger, the outcome of something that's beyond you is being able to be willing to admit that you're wrong. And that's where grace takes over. Come on. God gives grace to the what? Humble. And he resists the what? The proud. So you live in a perpetual state of wanting God more, being willing to experience whatever is necessary. Amen. And that's where grace begins to take over. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Look over John chapter 3 real quick. We'll end with this. I know this is a little bit, uh, maybe for some, a little bit more difficult to experience than, than some of the things that we've been preaching. Amen? Let me just ask you a question. How, ma how many people here, and, and I'm not going to look at everybody. I'm just going to allow my eyes to see in a peripheral to see, you know, the whole room. But how many people actually like this and want some more of it? Okay, and it's okay if you didn't raise your hand, but what that says of those that actually want more of it is your heart is open to the grace of God to do something amazing right here, right now, in your seat. Okay, let, let, me, let me blow your mind with something. And this was my friend. God, you, I wanted to be fixed, but I was so messed up with doctrine that's tainted just enough with unbelief that you don't get where you're going even though you've been spending hours 
pouring over the scriptures, memorizing them, praying in other tongues like crazy, but it seems like you never get to that place because your mind is not open enough to think beyond where you've been before. The grace of God needs an open heart and an open mind in order to work in you. So I prayed that God would fix me, and he sends me a cowboy. Cantankerous cowboy. My wife's Dutch. Dutch people are very straightforward. They don't mean to be. It's just in their blood. They call it like it is. So there's times she's going to say something. It's very direct. She doesn't mean anything by it. That's the way she sees it. I mean, I remember early on in our marriage, she said something that just like went right through my soul. And if she was a guy, I'd have knocked her head off. <laughs> and I looked at her, and with all the kindness I could muster up in the middle of having just had something said to me that was sharp, I said, honey, uh, did you actually think at all about what you were going to say before you said that? Did you, did you think that there could be another way of saying it? She said, I did. I searched for another way, and that's the only way it came out. <laughs> I couldn't get mad at that. I said, well, I give you an A-plus for trying, but, but, but next time, maybe you could think of this. And I shared with her how I would have said it. And she said, oh, I would never have said it. I thought like that. <laughs> well, she's Dutch. BJ was Pennsylvania Dutch, which means German Dutch. Oh, no. Where's my buddy, Herb? Yeah. Hey, man, do you know what I'm saying when I say German Dutch? I mean, so straightforward, and the guy's a genius, so he sees through all your malarkey and calls you out for it. I mean, I mean, I, you know, while I was spending time with him, I even learned to cuss. Because <laughs> it make you so mad, you just want to throw one of those words at him and just say, you know, forget it. I, at least four or five times I got in my car after spending time with him, and in the car I said, God, it's over, it's done. I'm done with this guy. I mean, forget this. And God would so nicely every single time say, well, son, you can be done if you want. But weren't you the one that actually prayed the prayer? I'm like, shoot, I did pray that prayer. Well, you can be done. And I say, no, you know me. I'll take a challenge. I can hang in there. BJ one time had an experience, well, I'll share this with you in a second. But he was with the Lord, and when I say with the Lord, I mean, you got to open your mind up to this, folks. He was with the Lord, looking at him personally, God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. And he's talking to them, and he said something about me. Because I said to him once I was with him, and we'd been together for a couple years, I said, well, I said, there's a bunch of ministers now that are really talking against me. He said, really? I said, yeah, they're trying to ruin my ministry. And I said, it makes me so mad, I'm going to go even further. They're going to have to work a lot harder to ruin it. 
He said, well, I was with the guys. He called them the guys. You say, well, my God, that's pretty disrespectful of Jesus. Well, if you hung out with him, you'd probably call him the guys too. In other words, they're giving him more tangibility, he is, by calling them the guys because he's actually with them, and they're guys, than us with all our praise and our worship if we haven't actually experienced them. Right? Because you know how that goes. Oh, this is going to be really tough. Is this okay? I, I know they won't want me back. I got some fun sermons to preach. I could stop right now. Make you laugh. It is very... The, the, God doesn't get frustrated. But there's a side to him that can get melancholy. Because everything that he's done for us is so absolutely amazing. And there's no boundary... There's absolutely no limitation on anyone but what we put on ourselves. So for us to take time to worship and praise and worship and praise, God's a faith God. So even though he knows the last thousand times that you've done that, within 15 minutes after you left the building, you went right back into the world that you know, and you actually ditched him when he was getting ready to do all kinds of stuff. Still, the very next time that you lift your hands to worship, he's so excited because people are giving him honor. And he doesn't need you to say he's a nice God for him to know who he is. But because you give him honor, it releases what he's done to become real to you so you can walk in it. But the moment we become conscious of this world, we then limit ourselves to what this world can give you. And he can do it all. But we very rarely stay consistent enough, and now I've just shown you my weakness. My greatest weakness is not staying as consistent as I need to be. Thank God I married my wife because she's very persistent and consistent. Things have to be right. That's why sometimes I actually tip the pictures on purpose. <laughs> so why would you do that? I'll, just to hear her say, what's happened to these pictures? I had them per <laughs> perfectly, perfectly lined up. And I'll say, oh my gosh, I don't know. We moved to Colorado. I didn't think there were earthquakes here. <laughs> I'll do things like that just, just to mess with because everything's right. You know what I mean? So you got to do something to, you know, upset the apple cart a little bit, you know, to play a little bit. She has pampered chefs. She has, she has so many little tools for everything in cooking to be completely perfect. And everything about the recipe, she does it to perfection. She sets alarms. She, she sets timers. She does everything, and she takes a knife to do, you know, to make something perfectly, not, like not one extra grain in a